I have a quick story to tell you uh, yeah. before we start talking. Um, so my wife and I, we've been married almost 10 years now. We've got now three kids, but last February, uh, we had two kids and one on the way. And my wife, we're, we're always working on each other's love languages. And so mine are uh, words of affirmation or experiences or something. And my wife loves acts of service, right? So I need to take the trash out, not tell her I love her. Um, <laughs> and so we're trying to get better at like serving each other's love languages. So my wife yeah. wowed me with a surprise Valentine's Day gift and said, we're going to Nashville for one night. We're going to have so much fun. It's going to be a surprise. And I'm thinking, I cannot wait. This is amazing. You love me. This is just awesome. So we hop in the car. She still tell me where we're going. We get about halfway there and she gets the tickets out. And I'm thinking, which band is this going to be? We're going to <laughs> imagine. And you obviously know where the story's going. Uh, and I look and I'm like, Rachel Cruz. And it was less. Uh, Parrot. Yeah. Parrots. Parrot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and I was thinking, I was like, so is there a performance around it? Like, you know, is there one of my favorite artists going to perform around? Nope. Nope. So we're going to the money and marriage conference. And so at that point I was kind of thinking, man, do we have more problems than I didn't know about what's <laughs> happening here? And I'll just tell you, like, I, I, I was so excited to have you on today to be able to tell you the story. Um, oh. that trip was just phenomenal for our marriage, for, uh, our conversations about money and the thing that you did that I can't thank you enough. And we, we've gone to Financial Peace University. You know, we're, we're trying to be as disciplined as possible with money. But uh, like you have claimed, uh, I am the spender in our family and uh, not the nerd, obviously. <laughs> that that causes some challenges. And you help me kind of accept my role in this and also challenge me to be a part of the table versus just continuing to not have the conversations, not be supportive because I was so insecure about, you know, what my habits were. And so thank you is all I want to start off by saying. Thank oh, you. I love that. Thanks for sharing that. I so appreciate it. That was like part of the, which we may get into in the interview, but the part of the tendencies of the book. And we, even when I wrote it, I remember thinking, I was like, I don't want there to be like a right or wrong because money can be so shame filled and guilt ridden because we're not like how we're supposed to be, right? Like I'm supposed to be a saver if you're good with money. You know, it's all these kind of like cultural eyes where I'm like, no, you can still be who you are and be wise in that. And so I love that. I, I'm so thankful. I'm glad it was a good trip. Sorry, it wasn't a band. Oh, it <laughs> that probably awesome. still would have been more exciting. <laughs> it was awesome. No judgment. It was awesome. Um, but one the thing I think, I'm pretty sure, you know, I wish I could remember every word you talked about. We definitely took notes on our little pamphlets that we came in, but um, I'm pretty sure you started the conversation or your talk, uh, talking about how you, you know, being Dave Ramsey's child, weren't the best example of saving money early on or financial discipline. And I just felt like I was leaning in at that point. And so can you just tell the folks who, I can't imagine nobody knows who you, anybody listening doesn't know who you are, but anybody listening, can you just share a little bit about kind of who you are before we talk about the actual book? Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, Dave Ramsey, the dad. Um, and that's kind of where my journey starts. I mean, some people ask, you know, do you want to be introduced as his daughter? And I'm like, I don't, I don't care. I don't care if that's what leads the conversation or what doesn't, because it is a big part of my story. And so when my parents, um, you know, gosh, 33 years ago filed for bankruptcy and that was the year I was born. And so I kind of was born at this pivotal time during their story. And so my entire life watched them how to figure out 
how money works and what does it look like to use common sense and to use scripture and to use grandma's ways of handling money, like all of this together. And so when I was in high school, I started traveling and speaking with my dad and kind of grew passionate about that side of life, if you will. I really enjoyed teaching and all of that early on. And then when I went to college is when I realized, wow, there is such a need for this message. I mean, at the time I was 18, 19 years old, but I remember thinking, like, I, I know credit cards are not the best answer. I know you can go to school without student loans. Like I had all these thoughts in my head. Um, and I knew, man, if I could just get this information out to people, I just know it will be so helpful because earlier on when I was traveling with him to all these events, I was hearing all these stories of people in their thirties and forties and fifties turning their lives around. And early on, I remember thinking, if you could get this early and avoid so many money mistakes, you could be so far ahead. And so, yeah, that was 11 years ago. So when I graduated college, I was like, this is really what I want to do. And so, um, since then, obviously my message has grown with me. I'm married, uh, got married right around then. So it's been 11 years of marriage and three kids and all of that. So kind of where life has taken me, my message goes with it. But my, but my passion, my hope is to give people instruction and inspiration when it comes to their money. There's a lot of toxic money messages out in our world. And I just want to bring truth and clarity and give people a guided path to say, hey, here's exactly what you need to do to actually gain control of your money versus your money controlling you. Well, I, I think I made the mistake of leaving the conference saying, God, Rachel's amazing. She gets me like the language of how this is going to be awesome for us, sweetheart. So I'm pretty sure she pre-ordered your book as soon as she could because it showed up, I think the day it was released. And so we awesome. had it and read it pretty quickly and obviously had to go through it. So let, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, your book, uh, Know Yourself, Know Your Money. Um, and just tell us a little bit about the background of it. Yeah, so, you know, kind of like I said, for 11 years, I've been talking about money, but it's usually on the how-to side. So how to budget, how to get out of debt, how to talk to your spouse about money, how to invest, how to give, how, how, how. And about three or four years ago, I was kind of in my own personal journey where I remember I read the book, The Birth Order, because I'm a middle child. And I was like, okay, how does being a middle child like affected who I am today? I took the Enneagram. I was in some counseling. Like I was in all kind of the self-discovery phase that I really hadn't done a lot of work in before. And I was just discovering all this stuff about myself, like why I do the things I do. And it really was empowering because not that I've arrived by any means, but I do think I was a became a better wife, a better mom, a better friend, better at work and relationships, just being aware of why I do the things I do. And I remember thinking, okay, well, what if I attach this to my money? Cause I always talk about the how, but not the why. And, oh, it was like this black hole I just dove into because there was all of this stuff that I had never thought about. Everything from your childhood and your tendencies and your personality and your dreams and your fears. That is why we handle money the way we do. So you can know the how-to and the how-to is very important, but until you can get to that root of why you handle money the way you do, why you see money the way you do, you really can't break a lot of your bad money habits. Yeah, I think that that experience for, again, my wife and I, not to talk too much about my marriage here, but that's, that's how we explored it, right? And that was good to uncover what our life was like, what our dreams are, what our challenges are, our insecurities are, to start having authentic conversations we thought we were having real conversations. And then after diving into this book, we realized how much deeper we could go and how much more room there was to grow. Uh, one of the things that uh, when it comes to learning, I really like quadrants, right? To figure out kind of where you are and where you're going. And you built a really nice quadrant that helped our communication. And I think you, you talked about calling it money classrooms. Can you tell us a little bit about what those are and how those shape conversations? 
Yes. Well, this goes back to how you were raised with money. So your household growing up was your classroom. I mean, this is where you learned all your lessons in life and some lessons you take with you into adulthood, some lessons you wish you could unlearn. Uh, but it's all really your foundation starts there. And so as I was writing it, I was like, okay, well, money, it's communicated in two ways. It's communicated verbally within a household, but it's also communicated emotionally. And so as I was typing out the manuscript and we're thinking, oh my gosh, this, this creates a quadrant. I was like, oh, God gave me a graph and I'm so excited about it. Cause I'm like you, I'm like, yes, there's a graph. This makes total sense. So that first quadrant is the anxious money classroom. And this is where it's verbally closed. So money is not talked about but emotionally stressed. So if you grew up in this quadrant, it was probably, you know, you felt tension and stress maybe towards the end of the month when bills were due. You couldn't really put your finger on why, but there was that tension, but no one said anything about it. Classroom number two is the unstable money classroom. So this is verbally open and emotionally stressed. So lots of conflict, lots of fighting. You probably heard your parents have the same money fight over and over and over again. A lot of, you know, it's, it's combative, but that's the unstable. Number three is the unaware. So this is where it's verbally closed, but emotionally calm. So this is, your head was in the sands, probably about money. You probably really even never thought about it. But when you left home at 18 or 21, you thought, I know nothing about money. Like it wasn't a big deal growing up, but I, I don't know what to do. And then classroom number four is definitely the healthiest money classroom, but it's the secure money classroom. And this is where it's verbally open. So it's talked about, but it's emotionally calm. And so in this classroom, you could have $50, you could have $50 million. It's not the amount of money you have, but it's how money is handled and how communication around money is handled. So that fourth money classroom is something that the readers of the book, I really try to push them to put their current family in to work towards that. But it's important to look back to say, okay, here's how I grew up. You know, if I grew up in quadrant number two, I may avoid talking about money because it just leads to fighting. Why do I want to engage that? So you can kind of see your patterns and how they developed by which money classroom you grew up in. Yeah, I think, and again, that uh, when it comes to communicating with your partner, that that to me helped me get into like a clear understanding of where we're coming at this problem from. And then you took us through an exercise and it's in your book, but I still remember going through this exercise uh, in the audience that night where I think you went through kind of the major money tendencies. I think there are seven of them, right? Um, and that was really lightening on our behaviors and our personality. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about the, the seven uh, money tendencies? Yes. So these, you know, I said earlier, you, they, they, it was fun to write about because there's not right or wrong. The extremes of these can get unhealthy. So you got to watch out for that. But it really just shows, hey, this is just how I'm naturally wired. And no matter where you fall on these tendencies, you can still win with money. You can be great with money no matter who you are. So one tendency is an easy one, saver versus spender. Um, another tendency is quality over quantity. So would you rather have a quality product when you when you spend money or do you want a variety of things and so for this for instance my husband he's quality he's like i just need three pairs of boots but they're gonna be nice and last me for 10 years and i'm good where i'm more quantity i'm like i don't need a nice pair of earrings i could have 20 amazon pairs and i'm great like i just like variety and all that so each one you do have to be careful because again those extremes so as an example the quant quantity if you lean on that side you need to watch out that you don't spend money to cope 
I mean, because you can justify so many purchases when you are a quantity person. You can say, oh, it's on sale. It's not a big deal. Or it's just $14.99. Like, I can't. It's fine. But you have to watch your habits because you can easily start just to cope with stress or whatever it is by just kind of spending and feeling good. Quality people, it doesn't have to be the brand name or the designer label all the time. You know, we can get off our high horses. I was joke about my husband. I'm like, doesn't matter. It's okay. We can, we can get something a little bit more inexpensive, even though he's not a spender, he's actually a saver on the scale. But when he buys, he wants the quality. Uh, another one is experiences versus things. Um, when you spend money, do you tend to spend it on experiences? That's me. I like to go to a nice dinner or a great vacation or take my kids to the zoo or things, actual items. My husband, it's like, gadgets. I mean, even our birthdays, it's so funny or Christmas. I'm like, I will take a spa gift card all day long. His birthday's in three weeks. And honestly, he's like, I really want a drone. Like, Okay. Get a drone. Like, you know, but he's like, I need, I want a thing that I can actually use. Um, yeah. So there, yeah, there's seven of those. And again, going through it, I think is key because you can identify with it and know, okay. And I write about the red flags on each of these on the extreme side, but also, like you said earlier, you have a level of empathy, especially if you're married with your spouse where I can say, okay, now I get that Winston for the first few years of our marriage, he ordered water every time we went to dinner. Cause for him, he's like, it's not worth paying $8 for a glass of wine. Like it's just, it's not worth it. And I was, I was like, have fun. Have, he's like, I ain't having fun. But now I look back, I'm like, he just doesn't value putting money in those things. He values something else, you know? So, so it's just, it, it helps so much, um, the conversations and understanding where your, where your spouse or your parent or your friends, uh, you know, whoever's in your life, uh, how they view money. Well, I think again, learning that for me and Ashley, uh, recognizing that we're both experienced people has allowed us oh, to yeah. let go and be a part of those experiences and to like save for those experiences. So that's been good. I think one of the challenges though, and this may just be a me challenge. I don't know if you've seen this in your time coaching people or talking to folks, but you know, you still have just a little bit of insecurity you're bringing to the table of like, man, I really should be the nerd. I'm not the nerd. Oh man, I'm causing problems. So there's a lot of like beating yourself up on how, how do you help people who are beating themselves up and not wanting to come to the table because they're so insecure about it? No, it's a great question. Well, I think this is kind of where grace comes in and the understanding that number one, having the confidence to say, okay, I was created and put on this planet a certain way. And there's that to be celebrated. Now, again, I think knowing our blind spots and knowing when we can get unhealthy is healthy. So maybe there are times where I'm like, oh, I'm too much of a free spirit. And I find myself not wanting to engage in conversation. Well, then that needs to be okay. Let me engage more. And that's kind of that red flag that brings you back to that middle ground. But I think too, everyone has made a money mistake. If you're over eight years old in here, five years old, you have made a money mistake. It's going to happen. And so one of the scales I talk about in the book is that, that enabling versus legalistic. And I think it's important for us to know when we, to look at ourselves, Hey, how do I give myself grace? Cause if some people are enablers and they just say, Hey, it's okay. Over and 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 over. And there's a point where it's like, okay, well, a lesson has to be learned somewhere to actually change direction and become healthier with money. And so some people enable themselves and like, Oh, it's not a big deal. And they just brush it off constantly where no, that maybe they do need to engage and kind of have this like hard conversation in the mirror of, okay, what do I do? And then on the other side, people are legalistic. And some of these people, it's like, if they break, if they, if they're $5 off the budget or whatever, they freak out if it's their spouse that did it, or if they did it, they just have all this shame and legalistic people are hard to be in relationship with because they usually take <laughs> rules over relationship. And so for those people, I'm like, it's okay. 
give yourself grace. So finding that medium ground, I think, I think really is important. And the fact that opposites attract. And so our spouses, usually we're going to be very different. And I think that there's such a beautiful thing to that. There's different strengths, different weaknesses. And it is, it's, it's really important. My husband and I, we laugh all the time because I'm like, babe, I make you more fun. That's what I tell Winston. He's like, well, I keep you from not being broke. And I'm like, that is true. <laughs> so there's like this, this beautiful dance that we're able to do. And I respect him so much for that. And he tells me all the time, he's like, I just love that I'm married to you. Cause he's like, I, you push me out of my comfort zone. And actually I have a lot of fun when I do we don't we do the things that I plan or whatever it is so there's kind of that dance that you have to you have to get into tune with that's awesome uh, again you you've helped me I'm sure uh, thousands maybe millions of others now uh, work on the insecurity the other part with money you know I feel like you've talked to everybody who's ever taken the financial peace university class to find out why they haven't made movement and fear is one that is crippling and I really appreciate you diving into uh, the different fears that we can experience to try to tackle this issue. Can you share with those, at least a couple of them? Yes. Yeah. This was an interesting part of the book to write about. I actually interviewed Dr. Chip Dodd on this because I love what he says about fear. He says that fear can actually be a gift. So fear is your body's response that you are in need of something. So when that fear rises up, listen to it. Like understand, okay, what is this fear and be able to even verbalize it or write it down. Now, when it goes into anxiety or you're losing sleep at night, crippling, paralyzing fear, not that's unhealthy. I don't want you to be there. But when you just have this initial like, oh, listen to it, because the truth is, you know, I look that I mean, statistics are all in my head all the time, but 40 percent of Americans can't cover a four hundred dollar emergency in cash. And that was before 2020. So 2020 hits. So 40 percent of Americans, if you were furloughed or laid off and you were part of that 40 percent, you're going to have fear. And so there is a real fear that is going on. So if that was you and you felt that, you know, that fear rise up, listen to it, because it might actually tell you, hey, wow, I, like the way I've been handling money is is not good because now I'm stressed out. I can't pay my bills. So maybe I really do need to save and have an emergency fund. Maybe I really should work my way out of debt so I don't have all of these payments that I'm paying for things that I bought in the past. So it actually can drive you to some really great things. I don't want fear to be your only motivator because I think it can be exhausting when that's the case, but I do think it is a gift. So I do tell people, listen to what that is. So whether that's a fear of ending up like your parents, whether it's a fear that outside forces are gonna control me, whether it's elections or a pandemic and that, that, that is fearful for you. Um, no matter what that fear is, be able to name it and then speak truth to it. And so like that fear, the external forces, that was a big one in 2020. And so for that, for instance, control which, what you can control. There were things we could not control about this pandemic. We could not control whether your state has a mask mandate. We couldn't control whether you're gonna get the vaccine in this amount of time. We can't control who's gonna be elected to office. Like there are things happening in our world right now you don't have control over. So what can you can control? You can control your income that's coming in. You can control your work ethic. You can control who you hang out with. Like there are levels of your life that you can control. So focusing on that versus wringing your hands in front of the TV being like, oh my gosh, what's gonna happen? Sometimes you're just worrying about things you can't even, you, you don't even have a say in. So giving yourself the mental space to focus on things you can. So, so that fear, yeah, it, it's a big part of it. And again, it's a driver for why we handle money the way we do. Well, I mean, to your point, I mean, there's so many people that have taken all sorts of money courses where they know the right things and they're kind of part of the amen course. So that's a great point. Yeah, we're going to do it. And then they don't. Right. And I, I think assuming the best in folks, 
I think it's insecurity and fear that keeps us from that next level. And to your point, focusing on what you can control versus what you can't. Yes, um, yes. I, I've not heard the statistic that, I mean, I've read it, but until you, you gave it to me about um, uh, folks not saving in America, I knew there, you know, obviously we know that's a challenge, but I didn't know it was as uh, intense as what you just described. What kind of advice do you have for folks who maybe recognize now they may not have the savings that they probably should? Yeah, well, this is, um, you know, a, a tactical answer is to budget, which is kind of like womp womp, but it really does. It gives you this level of control and a plan on what to do. And so you may look at yourself and say, okay, here's all my expenses. Here's my income. And the math isn't working. I'm going to lower some expenses. And if I want to save money, maybe there's some things that I, I cut out or I lower categories in order to put money away. Or maybe I get an extra job. Maybe I sell stuff, whatever it is. But actually getting money and, and even saving a little bit at a time can really be beneficial because you kind of mentioned this earlier, but it's true. You know, the, you can hear the principles, but the behavior doesn't change. In personal finance, it's 80% behavior. It's only 20% head knowledge. So we can know we need to save, but doing it, you have to have those quick wins. So even opening up a separate savings account, you know, not a part of your checking and just put, I mean, even if it's 200 bucks next month, like I don't care what the amount is, but just save something. If you don't, if you're not used to saving, create that habit because you're actually gonna watch it start to grow little by little. And you think, wow, for the first time in my life, I have a thousand dollars. You know, that's for a lot of people. And so it's amazing what a little bit will do. So that's the tactical side. But then there's also the emotional side of all of this that when you decide to change spending or saving as an example, you know, you're not a saver and you want to become one, that means you're going to have to change. You're going to have to change the way you view and you handle money. And change is uncomfortable. People hate it. My my three-year-old, just a few weeks ago, I, I changed the car seats in the car because I took all the car seats out and I was cleaning stuff and I put them back in and I switched my 16-month-old car seat and my three-year-old's on the different side of the van. And you would think my three-year-old was having this panic attack because she was on the wrong side of the van. And she's like, I can't, no, mom, no. And in that moment, I was like, get in your car seat. We got to go to preschool. But I thought, she even hates change. She does not like sitting in a different place, even in a car at three years old. And so there is something comfortable when we know what decisions we make and where we are. Even if what we're doing is wrong, it's comfortable because it's familiar. So changing that and saying, okay, I'm going to have to do something totally different. It's, it's uncharted territory. You're probably going to mess up. You're probably going to make mistakes. It's uncomfortable. It's vulnerable, but it is worth the risk to push through because you know what you are risking and changing to is going to be better for you in the future than what you have in your presence. So that emotional side of change and saving is really important to address. I, uh, I mean, it sounds like what you just described is the reason we created this podcast is call it change starts here and we really want people to recognize that we know change is messy change is full of false starts but you got to keep putting one foot in front of the other and so that was perfect one question <laughs> we always leave our guests with is um, what advice do you have to our audience about one step of change they can make today so when they get done listening what's what's a the best advice it doesn't have to be from your book necessarily it could be something that's just really on your heart right now mm. uh, encourage people uh, to make change in their life? I would say know why you're changing. I think that why is your 30,000 foot viewpoint. Because when you're in the weeds and you're in the day-to-day, -day, it can be so hard because again, change is hard and you're doing new things and it feels uncomfortable. But if you know your why and your why doesn't need to be, you know, I, I want to 
do better with my money because I want a nice car or I want to go to this Caribbean island. All those things are great. I want you to go to the Caribbean islands. I want you to get a great car. I'm great with all that. But let your why be something that money can't buy. Like is your why for your family? Is your why for your kids? Is your why because you actually want to sleep at night and not be stressed out? Like what is that why? And that why will take you so far and and it really kind of becomes your vision for that day-to-day change. Cause like you said, you're gonna have false starts. You're gonna mess up. All of that happens when you start something new, but having that why that you're looking towards, I think is really important. Well, uh, Rachel, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, thank you for finding time to talk with us. Uh, like I said, personally, you have no idea the impact you've had on my life as well oh, as thank my you. parents and pairing as my kids. And so future generations, but I'm confident you're having the impact on thousands, if not millions of others. So uh, please keep doing what you're doing. And thank you so much for you coming to stop by here today. Well, thank you so much. It's, it's an honor for sure. Tell your wife hello for me since I didn't get to talk to her. But, <laughs> but thanks, thanks again for having me on. I really appreciate it. You thought about coming down here and she's like, wait, I, I haven't, I'm doing Zoom meetings. And I just I, <laughs> did not feel like she was dressed accordingly. So, well, tell her, yeah, most days I'm not either. So I totally understand. <laughs> thanks so much. So I really appreciate being on. Thanks for joining us today. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, cast on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential.